Hey, Bettys. Welcome to the Better Podcast. It's your host, Dr. Stephanie. It is geeky magic time where I step away from the interviews and just talk to you. It's just going to be me and you today. And these episodes, I'm going to bring you personal insights, frequently asked questions, topic du jour in a more condensed, quick, and actionable way. I go hard on the geek, wrap it up with sprinkles and magic for you to do and be better. Hey, hey, Bettys. Today's geeky magic, I wanted to focus on the neuroscience of desire and pleasure. And I also wanted to talk about it from both a geeky lens. So we're going to talk about dopamine and we're going to talk about testosterone and some of these different pathways. But I also wanted to take a, uh, a magic lens on it as well and really talk about why desire is so important for women to pursue. Um, so it is a bit geek, a bit magic. So as you might guess, a perfect theme for today's episode. And when we think about desire, a, a lot of times I think women, uh, we shy away from it, right? It's sort of this like, oh, that's for people who have time <laughs> to think about their desires. It's for the ladies who lunch. It's for people who have a lot of time. And what I hope to do in today's Geeky Magic is to present you both an argument around the science of desire and the neuroscience of desire and why that's important for promoting healthy brain aging as we transition through some of the different seasons in our lives, but also why we have to allow pleasure in. And I see this over and again with women where we push it away. We're afraid that if we let something good in, or if we allow ourselves to desire something, that the other shoe is going to drop, that something bad is going to happen. And this is just a false dichotomy that simply does not exist. Of course, in pop culture, we can always find uh, extreme outliers, but in the general sense for most people, when we are allowing joy and pleasure and allowing ourselves to desire and want things, I mean, this is the makeup of a wonderful life. And if the pandemic has taught me anything, it's that life is really short and we don't have time to be busying ourselves with things that don't matter. And one of the things that really does matter in the context of brain health and in the context of enjoyment of your life and longevity and health span is this idea around pleasure and desire. I get a lot of questions about how to ease perimenopause and menopause symptoms. And here's a really simple answer for you. Take a good mineral supplement. Your body loses a ton of minerals as you transition through perimenopause and menopause, and mineral deficiencies make a lot of the common symptoms worse. For example, if you're struggling with poor sleep, fatigue, joint pain, hot flashes, or any other side effects that are wearing you down, you might think about giving Beam Minerals a try. Their full-spectrum mineral supplement contains every single mineral that you lose during perimenopause and menopause. And there is a meaningful dose here with close to 100% bioavailability. All you have to do is take a shot of liquid every morning to replenish your mineral stores and ease the symptoms that you might be experiencing. Beam Minerals just taste like water and you'll feel the difference within a few days. Head over to beamminerals.com and use the code BETTER for 20% off. So let's get into it. So first, I want to talk about desire from a neurochemical perspective. And that is to say, 
through the lens of a neurotransmitter called dopamine. So really easy way to, you know, associate it as dopamine and desire. They both start with D's, really easy to remember. And when we think about dopamine, it's a really important neuromodulator. It can it, it constitutes about 80% of the catecholamine content in the brain. And it's involved in the anticipation of a reward of something good happening, right? So when we anticipate something, you know, a reward happening, we'll talk about what those rewards might be. This is going to increase the levels of dopamine in the brain. So let's think about a couple of them that you might be, uh, you know, that anticipatory reward um, feedback loop for dopamine. So things like likes and follows on social media, Um, finishing a project, right? Uh, Clearing off items on your to-do list. You know, maybe you've completed a degree or a diploma or you were promoted, like in some way you are advancing your career. Another uh, anticipation of reward is date night, right? Something to look forward to, and maybe you're going to get some <laughs> on date night as well. So this is um, some of the ways that when we are anticipating a positive outcome, this is how we can increase dopamine levels in the brain. And I want to really be careful here because when we think about pop culture and, you know, the mainstream media who really has no idea what they're talking about most times, that's both in the context of dopamine and other other things, but that's a separate podcast. But mainstream media popular culture, we often talk about dopamine and it's only sort of seen as this like molecule of pleasure, right? It's like it, it increases your pleasure when you have dopamine. And that's true, but it's not entirely accurate. What is what is a more accurate representation of dopamine is that it is involved in something called motivational salience. So in other words, um, dopamine is going to signal the desirability of an outcome, right? Or uh, which will then, you know, that'll drive a certain subset of behaviors towards that outcome. And the reverse is also true, right? So um, if the outcome is not desirable, there's adversiveness, right, to this outcome, it is going to drive behavior away from allowing that um, desire to come to fruition. So an example, and I'll use a personal example in my own life, for me, I knew that when I was in university, I wanted a degree in neuroscience. Like it was very exciting to me, very challenging. I was always attracted to the brain, always attracted to neuroscience. And my dopaminergic pathways drove me to seek that out. That is motivational salience. So that was a desirable outcome for me. So to have this degree in neuroscience and psychology. And so that drove a subset of behaviors, which was studying hard, getting good grades, um, to, to have that, uh, pursuit and to have that outcome. And the same goes for my doctor degree as well. And when we think about, when we think about dopamine, it has uh, many roles, many roles in the brain and body. But one of them that I want to focus on, which I think is really interesting, is motor disorders. So we will see either too much or too little dopamine in certain types of disorders. So the easy one that many of you might already be familiar with is Parkinson's disease, where 
we see these involuntary tremors uh, and lack of coordination because of this severe dopamine degradation in an area of the brain called the substantia nigra. And it also, dopamine also plays a role in pain processing at multiple levels of the central nervous system, including the spinal cord. And there are others like the thalamus, the basal ganglia, et cetera. You know, I won't bore you with the names, but basically when we see decreased levels of dopamine, this has been associated with painful symptoms that we actually see in diseases like Parkinson's. Um, we will also see this with patients with fibromyalgia, restless leg syndrome. So many of you body workers, chiropractors, osteopaths that are listening to this will also be very familiar with your FM patients, right? Your fibromyalgic patients and this diffuse pain pattern that we see with them. Part of that in can be allocated to this degradation or this poor, these poor dopamine systems at play. And finally, when we talk about healthy brain aging, so this is something that if you're a longtime listener, if you're a Betty, you know that I talk about this idea of promoting healthy brain aging. And a lot of literature has been um, really looking at Generally, as we age, there is an age-related decline in dopamine synthesis and also the receptor density, um, like the number of receptors that we have in the brain. And this is why you might see, you know, nonna, nonno, you know, your grandmothers, your opas, and your, um, I'm trying to think of all the, all the, the nans and the grands and all the, you know, grandmothers and grandfathers where you might see changes in um, their, uh, rigidity of their muscles. So when they're walking, for example, you might not see their arms swinging in that contralateral fashion. So you may not see the same amplitude of arm swing. So normally when someone walks, it's a contralateral pattern. So left leg goes forward, right arm swings forward, and then everything switches, right? So we see that gate switch where then the right um, uh, foot comes forward, the left arm swings forward. That contralateral pattern um, we see the amplitude of the arm swing. So the amount of the arm swing will decrease. And then we tend to see them shuffle a little bit, right? So uh, you may see kind of older, uh, older individuals, they shuffle uh, a bit more and then their muscles are much more rigid. Okay. So we want to be thinking about how we can be improving dopamine as men and women, but in particular, how we, how we can do this over the course of our lifetime, because it has real effects in terms of our motor system, in terms of our pain experience, our pain tolerance. And of course, what we're actually talking about today, which is this idea of pleasure and desire. As we're kind of wading into the waters of desire, I really want the takeaway point here for sharing some of this neuroscience is that it is not just the molecule of reward. Okay. So it is, it is a very powerful modulator of the central nervous system and it is the molecule of desire as well. It is the molecule of wanting. And so 
when we think about this in the everyday present, you know, the dopamine is going to um, lead us to want to eat more of something or to not eat more of something, right? Or to want more of something because dopamine is about that motivational salience, right? So we want that pleasure. We want that, um, we want that outcome. And dopamine is going to drive that series of behavior that is going to bring about that outcome because it's about desire. Now, when we think about um, one thing I, I also should mention, uh, which I haven't yet, is dopamine is synthesized from amino acids that we eat. So it's synthesized from uh, L-tyrosine, which is abundant in um, meats uh, and nuts. Um, but there is there's this little, uh, I get this little kind of like, and I get this little cluck clucking that goes on in my head when I see Instagram posts about, um, you know, I mean, I'm sure you've all heard of this idea that 90% of, you know, the serotonin in your body is made in your gut. And, you know, most of your dopamine is made in your gut and therefore your mood is in your gut. And that is not accurate. So I get whenever I see little like Instagram quote cards that are like, you know, you can change your, you know, mood by, you know, because 90% of the serotonin is like, okay, sort of, but not really. Okay. So dopamine is synthesized from the amino acids that you eat. However, the dopamine neurons that give rise to this motivational salience, these feelings of wanting, these feelings of desire, let me be very clear these reside in your brain. So it is your brain that drives pursuit. It drives your desire, both in the context of dopamine as well as serotonin, right? So this motivational salience, your desire to pursue something is a brain-driven, top-down ordered process. Now, of course, I I am not saying that there is no gut brain access. Of course, there is an enteric nervous system. There's a central nervous system. And this gut brain access does sense the types of foods that we are eating. And there is this vagal um, uh, somatosensory feedback system. Um, but I want to be really clear that the neurons in your brain drive desire, not your gut. So I hope that at this point you're like, okay, dopamine, desire, got it. <laughs> okay. So I want to, I want to build on that and actually talk about a couple of sex hormones that play into this. And, um, when we see dopamine being released, uh, released part of me, um, in the brain in ways we are also, this is also related to testosterone. And of course, um, if you've heard of testosterone, this is, you know, phenotypically ascribed to males, but men and women, we have testosterone just in different concentrations and amounts. And testosterone, you might argue, is a, you know, a downstream consequence um, that is involved in motivational salience around reproduction, right? It is going to drive mating. It's going to drive reproductive behavior. And in men, you know, there's no question, right? We know that this is true. They have a lot more testosterone than females do, but women also have testosterone. And we also, especially for my ladies who are in their reproductive years, we also know that as our testosterone increases, there's a certain time in our cycle that I talk about in the Betty body that as testosterone peaks just before ovulation in that pre-ovulatory week, about week two of your cycle, what do we do? We have an increase generally in libido and we tend to seek out sex and orgasms, right? So 
you know, we chase our partners all over the place, right? I, I'm chasing Giovanni around the kitchen, you know, I'm jumping into his lap and kissing him all the time. And, you know, it's like, oh yeah, it must be, must be week two, right? It's like flirty, sexy, like you're really interested in sex. And that's because as a woman in that pre-ovulatory week, testosterone is driving us to seek out more sex than we would otherwise at different points in our cycle. So, you know, just a little, you know, mother nature, she's a wily minx, isn't she? Because she knows that if we are getting some right before we ovulate, this is obviously going to increase our chance of that reproductive behavior, right? We know that, um, you know, sperm can live for up to five days and they're just going to hang, they're just going to, you know, have a picnic and they're going to wait to see if they're eligible bachelors for once the egg is released. What's interesting, um, and this is another sort of uh, a bit of a sexual dimorphism or kind of difference between men and women, is when in men, we've talked about, um, you know, increases, like the more testosterone a man has, the more this is going to have that motivational salience of seeking out um, reproduction, right? And with women, so here's something really cool. Um, We, when we think about, Uh, what actually promotes our receptivity to having sex, to mating, it's estrogen. So again, think of our cycle in that pre-ovulatory week. We've talked about testosterone rising, but what's the other anabolic hormone that reaches that apical peak? The big E, right? It's estrogen. And this is the highest that we will see estrogen in the entire cycle. So again, That mother nature, thank goodness it wasn't left up to me to design these things because I would have left those things, all these little details out. But we know that testosterone, as it increases, we're chasing our partners around the kitchen. And, you know, as estrogen is also rising, that is going to increase our receptivity. It's going to increase our interest in, um, in those, uh, reproductive behaviors. So, just looking at our menstrual cycle, right? We know that testosterone is going to like promote that, that salience, that sex seeking behavior, but an interesting question to ask, and maybe you've already, you know, you might be thinking it as well, is the reverse true? Does sex in and of itself promote an increase in testosterone? And if so, can this be a tool to improve our desire, to increase our dopamine and of course our dopamine testosterone dance? And, you know, while the answer is a little bit um, nuanced, the short answer here is yes. So it, they are both like bi-directionally, you know, um, testosterone will, pr- will promote sex seeking behavior but sex itself is also going to promote testosterone and therefore it can be used as a tool to improve our desire if we feel that our desires are low or if we feel like our libido has tanked. And of course, this is so important for my perimenopausal women who are listening and my, my menopausal women who have stopped their cycling of their sex hormones, right? So the more sex that you have and the more orgasming that you enjoy are going to help naturally with your testosterone and your estrogen levels. Now I talk a lot about sex as a health and longevity tool in my book, The Betty Body, which you can find anywhere now. And this is actually the longest chapter in the book. Uh, We talk all about hormones, but I spend a whole bunch of time about sex and orgasming because 
you know, the more sex that you are having, the better your testosterone profile will be. Sodium is an essential nutrient involved in the maintenance of normal cellular balance, the regulation of fluid and electrolytes, and your blood pressure. Start your morning right with a refreshing, salty tonic of LMNT. It's spring season now, which means I will be enjoying watermelon or grapefruit salt on ice, and it is a fabulous way to balance stress hormones and make sure that I am maximizing my muscle gains. LMNT also has a no questions asked refund policy. Try watermelon or any flavor that you want, and if you don't like it, they will refund your money no questions asked, and you don't even need to return the box. Head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash Dr. Estima. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And you will get a free LMNT sample pack with any purchase. And this is, as I said, important for you to consider as a 40, 50, 60, 70 year old woman. There are a lot of things that I want to talk about as, um, as it concerns desire and as it concerns testosterone and dopamine. And of course there are nutritional and lifestyle modifications that we can make. Um, and I talk about those again in the Betty body, but I want to, what I would like to do now, now that you have sort of this preliminary understanding of dopamine, its role in wanting its role in desire and how that interplays with testosterone and how that will help to increase desire type behavior, desire seeking behavior. I actually want to talk to you about desire in and of itself. And I said this at the beginning of Geeky Magic because of this episode, because most women are so damn scared. They are so scared of even admitting to themselves that they want something, that they desire something. And quite frankly, when I speak to many women, it really, when we talk about desires and what do you want? People are like, I don't know. What do you, you know, like it, it's like the, it's the proverbial, like, what do you want to do tonight? I don't know. What do you want to do tonight? I'm fine with whatever. Like, I don't know. It's like, no, I want, this is what I want. You know, like you, I want the women who are listening to this podcast and all other people who love them to really encourage women to get to know your desires. Because what I'm seeing in, uh, in society in general is really bordering on this anti-hedonic behavior, right? Which is to say that women in general have this reduced motivation, this reduced anticipatory pleasure, consummatory pleasure. Like when you consume a food or you purchase, like the pleasure is down and really these deficits in reinforced learning. And making time for pleasure can seem really self-indulgent, right? It can seem kind of narcissistic and a waste of time. Like why enjoy when, like the sort of thinking is like, why should I enjoy something when I can be productive? And let me just say, if you are someone who was just unconsciously nodding when I said that, then I need you to pay attention because you are my type A Betty that is really divorced from her body and is always living in her head and is always thinking about how she can prove her worth through productivity. And if this is the last, my last dying breath, I want you to learn how to enjoy your damn life. And this no pain, no gain crap um, that we have in our culture really needs um, to stop. And 
it's interesting whenever I watch, whether it's foreign film or right now I'm, I'm, I'm watching a show. It's an American produced show, but, uh, it's, it's a show on Netflix. It's called Emily in Paris. And, um, it's so much fun. It's like just a delight to watch. It has fashion, it has croissants, it has Paris. So it's just the perfect, um, you know, trio of, of pleasure for me. And she, um, she, this, this girl, Emily, the main character in this show, she's an American who goes to work for this marketing firm in Paris. And, you know, she's having a hard time getting along with her, you know, coworkers. And she's sitting at this cafe after work and, you know, one of her co- you know, coworkers comes to sit with her and she says, you know, the co the coworker says to her in America, you live to work in Paris. We work to live. Work is a means for us to enjoy our lives, but it is not part of our identity. Like, okay, how many of us can actually say the same, right? My, and I'll, I'll hang myself out to dry here. Like my ego, my identity very strongly identifies with the letters I have accrued behind my name, with the labels that I can call myself, you know, the work that I do. And hearing that when I listened, when I first heard this, this, um, I forget the the character's name, but when he said this to Emily, I said, oh, this, it's so true. Right. And for those of us that have children, you know, we can see that they have direct access to pleasure. They're not like us screwed up adults. Like we have all these filters, we push pleasure away. We are pleasure intolerant, but children are always seeking pleasure. They want things that feel good. They want things that feel happy and they don't care about, I mean, we see that this is why we have to tell them about consequences and you can't just run after the ball in the street, you know, because they want to play with the ball and they don't think about, well, there might be a car coming on the street, et cetera. And as we grow up, we often are trained in our society. We turn away from pleasure. We need like a, a reason to celebrate. You know, we need like a birthday or an anniversary or you know, a retirement party or something, you know, as a, as a, as a means or as an excuse, um, to justify treating ourselves and, and being happy. And I would love to offer, um, you know, trying on this dress for size, if you will. So just, I want you to imagine for a moment that you only, like when you went into your closet, you only had your, like your absolute favorite outfits. They all fit you perfectly. You never had to hem them or tug at them or shoes that were too tight or whatever, just your favorite stuff. And you only had friends who, you know, fed your soul, who inspired you, who you enjoyed being around, not because, you know, you've known them for the past 20 years and you feel obligated to know them, but for, and you know, maybe if you have friends for 20 years, I'm not, I'm not, you know, trying to bias you against that, but, you know, people that really, um, that inspire you and they don't drain you or in the realm of nutrition, imagine that you only ate foods that you truly desired. They were prepared the exact way that you wanted them. And they were, and you only had them when you felt like it, you know, not because it said noon on the clock, but because you were hungry and you wanted it and you desired it. Right. Or you just, you know, had a massage because you felt like it, or you did things for yourself because you were like, Hey girl, I love you. (laughs) You know, like I love myself. Right. And And maybe while I'm giving you these suggestions, you might be like, whoa, okay, that's a little selfish. It's a little narcissistic, but 
women, I rarely see women engaging in behavior like that. Like we talk, we, we, you know, we're always, you know, we have a mouthpiece around self-care, but we have no idea what it is. And in fact, I, what I see is the opposite. Most women are absolutely not narcissists. They are absolutely not selfish in the way that they should be. They are the opposite. They are martyrs, right? They give up themselves. They give up their wants. They divorce themselves from their desires and their needs in order to serve other people. And, and I, I can understand where this comes from. We are conditioned as women to be caregivers. I'd like you to chew on a thought, which is true generosity, you know, does not happen unless you can give from your own surplus. I'll say it again. True generosity does not occur unless you are giving from your own surplus. In other words, you need to help yourself first before you help others, right? We had uh, Molly Galbraith on the show. Uh, go back and listen to that episode. It was a phenomenal interview. And one of the things that she was talking about, which really, really stayed with me because I'd never thought about it this way before, was that so many times when we're justifying like, oh, I'll invest in you know, for example, let's say you wanted to invest in, in joining my membership, the Hello Betty membership. You might say, I'm, I'm going to invest in it because it's going to make me a better mom or I'll be a better um, lover or I'll be a better husband. I'll be a better friend. I'll be happier um, and I'll be able to give to other people. And one of the things that Molly said that I thought was honestly brilliant was like, you are worth investing in yourself just because you're here, not because you're going to be a better mother, not because you're going to be a better you know, partner person for other people, but you must help yourself first because you are worthy of investing in. And there can be real pleasure in learning how to care for yourself, learning how to set boundaries. I did a recent um, geeky magic on boundaries that encourage you to go back and listen to it. You can derive a whole lot of pleasure from setting boundaries. Like this works for me, I'm good with that. This doesn't work for me. I'm not good with that. And in that beginning, those beginning stages of taking care of yourself, you begin the process in some ways of reparenting, in some ways remothering, right? But it's also giving you pleasure. It's also saying, I am worthy of standing up for. My desires matter. So, all this to say, please begin to pay attention to your desires. This is where pleasure begins. And this is where our, you know, little dopamine neurons who are just so quiet and they want you to be fired. They're going to be like, eek, we're going to get to fire. So think about, think, okay, that's not exactly what they do. But, you know, if you have something to look forward to, right, your dopamine pathways are going to be really healthy and you're going to be, um, you're going to, you're just going to enjoy your life, you know, and it's like, Gosh, it's like so fun to want something, right? And it doesn't have to be a really big thing as well. Like it can be, it can be a big thing. And if it is a big thing, then you should have that big thing or desire that big thing. But it can also be like a cup of coffee made for you exactly the way you want it, right? It can be a little weekend getaway to the countryside or the lake or, or what have you, right? And I, I think that I, I really wanted to do this particular episode because I also wanted to um, plant the seed of this idea of 
taking pleasure in sharing your pleasure with other women and reaching for, you know, in seeing other women reaching for and enjoying their desires and having them applaud you for reaching and enjoying your desires, right? So I'll give you, I'll give you an example. So one of my coworkers, she has a sporty little car and she only brings it out in the summertime. It's called the Supra. This car is called the Supra. And there's like this whole cult around it. It's like very hard to get and blah, blah, blah. So she has this, she has this car. She has like, you know, very practical car during the year. And then she has this like sexy little thing, this car that she brings out for the summertime. And she has She's part of like a super driving club and like all these fun things that she does. So she's driving for the pleasure of it. She's, you know, enjoying this car because it is pleasurable for her. And when she first told me about this, I was like, you know what, that I, I too am very attracted to that idea of having a sexy car. Maybe it's just a summer car. You join like, you know, whatever the car is, I'm sure that, you know, there's a, there's going to be a driving club that's associated with that car and you and other, you know, models of the car, you guys go driving together, you connect, etc. And this is an example of seeing another woman, you know, going for hers. Right. And that was inspiring for me. So now I have on my desire list, which we're going to talk about in a moment. That's one of the things that I would like to do for myself. I'd like to find a car a sporty little sexy thing that is completely impractical, but it brings me pleasure, right? So I'm going to give you a couple of examples of my uh, pleasures in the hopes that I am going to whet your appetite, right? And I just want you to know that, you know, you line up 10 women, 10 women are going to have 10 different desires, right? So I'm going to give you a couple examples of things that are really exciting and that I'm really attracted to, and maybe none of these are going to resonate with you, okay? Maybe one might, maybe a couple might, and maybe you might hear something and say, huh, I like it, but I need to modify it to suit myself, right? So feel free to take these, steal these, adopt them into your own life. And I want you to, uh, if you feel like posting your desires on the gram and tagging me, becoming Betty, hashtag becoming Betty, I'd love to see them. So a couple things that bring me a lot of pleasure, um, and I'll sort of draw from both my professional and my um, personal life. So professionally, I actually really love being in creation mode. So that's actually what my Hello Betty membership is for me. It's the thinking of the new pieces of content or teaching um, or connecting women in a strategic way and then executing on the new creative uh, construct to make it, you know, to bring it into fruition. So, you know, my, my Bettys inside the membership think that they are the ones that are benefiting from this membership. But let me tell you, I also benefit because it helps me to be in creative mode. And that was actually something that I was missing when I was in clinical practice. I felt like for years, you know, after you sort of, you, you gain mastery in something and you're not able to add on layers, it sort of started to feel stale for me. So I really appreciate being in creative mode most times. So that's, that's a, um, a professional uh, example. A couple of personal ones that I have is I want to live both in the city or in a city, and I also want to live by the water. I'm very attracted to the water every time I am near, and it's specifically like certain types of seas. So Caribbean Sea, um, the Tyrrhenian Sea um, in Italy. So every time I'm kind of in this like very salty near salty salt water, uh, is very good for me. And that's probably uh, driven by genetics, but 
you know, I want to have a home, like a beach home and a city home. That's one of my desires. Uh, another one of my desires is to, to be able to travel to Italy as often as I can. And eventually I'd like to find ways to spend long stretches of time there. Maybe when my children are older and they're in university and I am not, you know, you know, they don't have to come home every night and I have to cook and all that. Like I, I'll be more free to sort of spend time in a country that I'm very attracted to. Uh, a couple of the things I desire always having my nails and my toes done. <laughs> so a small, small thing. I have a pretty good uh, nail polish collection upstairs uh, in my bathroom and um, I don't always get to it, but when I do get to it, I feel really good about myself. A um, couple of the things um, I really love, like what brings me pleasure is having plants in my home. Currently, I am growing lavender, basil, and spearmint from seeds. And I also uh, grow, I've been growing this lemon tree um, in my home for the past few years. It's been just a joy. And I also kind of related to that. I also want to build a huge greenhouse in my backyard. So when I think about my backyard, most of it is kind of not wasted space, um, you know, there's this, you know, there's a, we have a barbecue out there. So Giovanni's able to like channel his inner caveman and barbecue meat, you know, man, meat, fire, something about that. But the rest of the space is like largely unused. And I, I really want to start thinking about how I can grow my own food. So I think about, which I think is totally gangster. Like I totally think that having a greenhouse in my backyard, growing a lot of my own food, maybe I won't be able to do the entire thing, but a big portion of it, I'd love to be able to do that. I also want to, I'm also really interested in solar panels, right? So I don't know how I would ever do this, but I, I think about how I might harness the power of the sun to power my home. Um, so those are a couple, a couple examples of things that I think about and that I desire. Those are like some of my, you know, even some of my private thoughts, right? When I'm falling asleep at night, those are the things that I dream of. I think about the house on the beach and waking up in the morning and just with my espresso kind of like sloshing my feet through the white sand, making my way towards the water, you know, stuff like that. And it really excites me. Like when I think about that, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to work so hard. I'm going to save, you know, all the money that I make. I'm going to save it so I can put it towards, um, you know, this desire. And some of the other desires are more superfluous, like granted. And that's, you know, I, I, I'm like, I'm vain. I'm fine being a vain woman. So painted, you know, toes and nails. If that doesn't happen, that's, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that not happening all the time, but I really want to think about how I can have a beach home. So, um, hopefully these have given you some, uh, some inspiration and I wanted to really, drive home this idea that you are responsible for filling, for fulfilling your desires. Okay. So, um, you really, we, we really want to like bury this Disney princess crap around being saved. Like, you know, the little mermaid and Cinderella and sleeping beauty who like, literally we have, you know, these evil people that come and take their voices or cast spells on them or whatever, you are responsible for your life. And that includes your desires. And when you don't tend to your desires, what happens is you, you become, um, your desires will destroy you, right? You will, um, overeat, you will over medicate, you will, um, find other, uh, types of, behaviors that are going to drive those dopamine pathways that are going to lead you to more addictive tendencies, like becoming a workaholic or watching porn or gambling or being on social media, 
all the time. So save your damn self. Okay. And I say this with love, right? No one's coming to save you. You're responsible for your life. That includes your desires. And maybe at some point I'm going to deconstruct this sort of evil stepmother and witch, um, story, these through lines that are depicted in these like Disney films, um, because they're also just misogynistic wrong. And they teach us to be wary of female elders or powerful women, but like, you know, I digress. It's for another geeky magic episode, but, um, I want you to be responsible to yourself. And that's actually the literal meaning of responsibility. It's the ability to respond. So respond to yourself first, follow your divine intuition. As women, we have a divine spark. It's already within us, right? And it is, in in my opinion, it is absolutely our duty to respect our divinity and to follow that that all chemical wisdom that um, that we all have. So um, I wanted to leave you with a thought. So we did a huge training of desire inside Hello Betty, and just for the sake of time, I don't have you know time to go through all of the things that you know. There's an entire workbook in there, but. What I would like to maybe leave you with a uh, sort of closing thought, a piece of homework, if you will, is to start thinking about the things that you're really attracted to. Okay. What are some of the things that you find yourself looking at uh, over and over again? Go into Instagram. What are your saved images? You know, is it about nutrition? Is it about health? Is it about body composition? Is it about lifestyle, travel, leisure, you know, photography, whatever, you know, think about some of the things that you are really attracted to. And maybe one day when you have um, some time, and this can be an ongoing process, it doesn't have to just happen in one fell swoop, sit down with, you know, cappuccino, you know, favorite pen and start writing down all the things that you want, all the things that you want from the tiniest to the most lavish. So that can be an interrupted sleep, you know, an uninterrupted sleep, right? As the smallest sort of desire that you might have. And that can be all the way up to, you know, a pied-à-terre in, in Paris, okay? And, or, and maybe that's not yours. That's clearly mine. But, you know, uh, you know the, you, maybe you want a yacht or you maybe you want, you know, whatever it is. Don't judge yourself, just write. And you will start to notice, you will start to see patterns. And as you begin to know yourself, this is another exercise in understanding who you are and what you are meant to do. Um, and I will quote Rumi and I will butcher it, but it is something like the desires that you seek are also seeking you. It's healthy for your brain. It's healthy for your life, for your joy. And I really want you to stop running away from them. So with that said, I shall bid you adieu. I'm wishing you a joyful, pleasurable, and desireful week, and we'll see you here next week. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's Geeky Magic Carpet Ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast. And I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses, and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you. And now for the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only. And the advice recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare provider's advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship formed. 
and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. 